You're listening to Lost in Sound. My name's Paul Hanford. I'm a writer, a podcaster and a DJ in Berlin. And I've always believed that one of the best ways we come together is through music. And through this series, we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the people who, when they make music, they do it utterly in their own way. Past guests have included Peaches, Chili Gonzalez, Ghost Poet, Leticia Sadier, and first and more. And each week, I have a conversation with someone who I think approaches music in a fresh and exciting way. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're having a really lovely day. Uh, you join me again from um, from Bodenstraße in Neukölln in Berlin. Um, it's a Monday. I'm a little bit bleary-eyed today. I, I had just what I felt was a really, really needed duvet day yesterday. I, I spent most of the day in bed and, and I kind of went into a really weird YouTube descent into the weird hell of of 80s Italo horror movies that had been uploaded mostly from old VHS kind of copies that are a bit scraggly and a bit weird and a bit distorted anyway onto onto YouTube and I kind of went into this this really weird realm and today uh getting up having a coffee walking through Neukölln I kept imagining I kept seeing these kind of figures that were in the movies these kind of weird synth punk zombie kind of figures that kind of keep coming up in a lot of these movies and one of the films I saw Demons and I'm going on a bit of a tangent here but um, it's supposed to be sort of set in Italy, but you can tell it's really, really, really blatantly Berlin in the mid 80s. And you can kind of see Friedrichstrasse um, as, as some of these 80s synth punk zombies are kind of cruising around in a car doing coke and, and, and all of this stuff. And there's like a massive scene where most of the film is, is shot inside the Metropole, which was a sort of existing club at the time. And it was kind of really weird. And then waking up today and being in that reality, at least until the, the caffeine kicked in. But hey, anyway, that's enough of that. Today on the show, Daniel Avery. Now, one of the things that I think connects a lot of the people I speak with on on this podcast and in something that I always sort of gravitate towards in music I like is if something is I feel in some kind of way transcendental or if something kind of has a reaction on me that could be described as transcendental and I'm not really sure if I'm being precise on definitions here on on dictionary definitions but to me 
that is this kind of feeling that the the ingredients that are used to make something the, the what it is it sort of activates something that goes beyond just the the, the sort of bricks and mortar or, or the kind of it goes beyond it goes into like another world and it kind of takes me somewhere else and and i think that's something that unites most of the artists that i speak with on on this podcast through all the different styles and 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 sounds and genres is the fact that there's something transcendental going on at least to me um and daniel avery's track the first thing i heard that he did uh, drone logic which came out in 2013 now is one hell of a, a transcendental track I think it, 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 I don't know whether it's like the sort of acid gurgles in it or the kind of slow BPM Weatherall-esque beat. But that tune, even when I hear it now, it's, it sends crazy shivers down my back. So we had a chat. His new album, Together in Static, sees him in a point where he's he's sort of transforming he's transform a point of transformation i'd say um in what he's doing and also we have in common that we come from the same town in england bournemouth with slightly ever so slightly different generations slightly different era but we do have some shared common experiences and and we kind of go into this in the podcast as well um i had a really 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 amazing time chatting with daniel and this is how it goes hey daniel how are you doing hey how you doing man i'm good thanks good stuff good stuff um thanks so much for chatting with me today um how's it going generally at the moment How, how are you feeling at the moment I feel excited to to be getting back into the world. Uh, slightly trepidatious, of course. It's a strange time. It's been a bizarre uh, eighteen months. But no, I feel very excited about what comes next. Really, if I'm honest, and it does seem as if like some normality is returning. So, in some way, so yeah, I feel good. I feel excited, and one of the main things that's happened during this lockdown time is. I've just made so much music mm. and to finally, uh, well, I, I, with the, to be able to release two albums during lockdown felt, uh, it gave me a lot of purpose and a lot of direction. And, um, also some kind of realization that making music is truly the thing that makes me the happiest above everything. I love all, all parts of what I do, but that really is the thing that kind of, uh, energizes me. And so to be able to do that has been amazing and there's a lot more coming. So I feel excited about what happens next, really. That's really exciting. And I I think it's always really good to sort of have these checks every now and then where you kind of reconnect with what you're doing, I guess. And it sounds like you've definitely, if anything, had an opportunity to kind of like really reconnect with, with like your love of what you're doing. That's absolutely what happened. Um, just being able to stop and take a breath for this time has been, you know, it's been difficult, but in a bizarre way, I feel kind of grateful for the opportunity to to take that moment. It's definitely realigned a few things in me and it's, um, yeah, I, I do feel grateful for it in a, in a strange backwards way. You know? 
Yeah. And at the same time as that, you kind of mentioned about being trepidatious as well. And because I imagine like, I mean, I know things have kind of started up now, but the regular frequency of DJing, for example, you know, everything kind of grounded to a halt for everyone. Mm. And um, did it, did it sort of take you a while to kind of feel that you had stopped? Um, in a way, uh, there was something about everyone stopping at the same time, which I guess helped in, uh, in, in a way. Um, I think to, to be really truthful about it, I think I needed to stop. And I, um, but it wasn't until I, until I had stopped that I recognized that. Um, just for my own health, really, in so many ways, just the physical toll it was taking on me, the the strain on my mental health as well. I didn't realize the impact it was really having. You know, I've been around the block a few times now mm. and I thought I had a grasp on, you know, what my life was really and what my life entailed. But I've, I've come out the other side feeling just a million times better in so many different ways. So yeah, it did take a, it took a little while to, to kind of work out exactly what's, what had happened, but the immediate benefits, um, they came pretty quickly. That's really cool to know. And, and like living here in Berlin, quite often I see uh, DJs that I know that in the last, when I've seen them like out and about in the last mm. period of time, look so much healthier than they did about two years ago. Yeah. As well. I mean, do you, yeah. are, there, are there certain things that you feel that, um going back in that you are going to do differently like in how you treat yourself or you know and how you kind of approach maybe the mindset of dj absolutely i um i feel like i'm gonna go back in with an entirely new mindset really in general just probably taking fewer gigs um it's difficult to you know it's such a uh, an unusual thing that we do Mm -hmm. You know, even after all this time, I still just feel forever grateful to be asked to to go and travel places and play music for people and be part of you know people's lives for a night. That that's that's never less than a joy. So it, in the past, it's been very difficult to say no to things, um, but now I know that overall, just I'm a I'm in a much better state if I do less a bit less of that and the other thing that happened is um i sensed this was coming before the whole lockdown but i've always had this idea for a, to do a live show in my yeah. head but it's never quite crystallized enough it's never quite formed but the lockdown really helped with that i mean it, it was hugely significant to be able to uh, in the process of um the live show and along with making records it's made me realize this being able to stop it just really made me realize that um i wanted to um extend that beyond simply djing and the live show has it's formed and i did my first one at, at hackney church in in may which was an incredible experience and moving forwards into next year there's going to be uh, that's going to be my main focus i believe is to is to really push the live show and djing is always it's always a blessing really Mm. being able to to do this and i i still love it but 
something clicked inside me. I reached a point where I knew I needed something more than than simply just DJing. Yeah, and and I mean, I mean, you're talking about the music that's now collected together on together in static, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 And and what what made you, or how did it come about? Um, and just incidentally, which um, church in Hackney is this? Because I I kind of did. I used to live in Hackney, and I did a Google of which one was Hackney Church, and it came up oh, with about yeah. ten it, different ones. Yeah, it's some um, Saint John's Church, which is in which they now just call Hackney Church, but it's in Lower Clapton. Oh yes, yes, right. Yeah, that's lovely. The acoustics in in there. Yeah, and just being beautifully um, re- remodeled, basically, and refurbished. And it's yeah, it's really a stunning place. I feel incredibly lucky to you know to you know to to do that in there. And and how did the process come about for um, for the you know did they approach you or did you have your eye on on this church for a while? Um, the opportunity came that. I came up the um yeah uh, a promoter we often work with um had had a few dates available in the church and asked if we wanted to do something this was still during uh th- this is towards the end of 2020 mm. and i knew that i didn't want uh, at first i just wasn't that keen on the idea of playing at all I didn't like the idea of doing some kind of seated rave it just that didn't mm. chime with me in any way and but then I thought well I've been making so much music during this time then it would be nice to to create something that was designed uh, specifically for that church and if I could make some kind of show that that um, was was completely uh, shaped with with that that room in mind then then maybe i could do something and that's where that's that's where that began the genesis of mm-hmm. the idea began for this together and static album it got postponed several times i think it got postponed three times yeah um but we eventually got there in in may just gone and um yeah that's where it came about i i, I just i just couldn't it says much um uh, it says much more about me than than anything to do with lockdown is that it, this is what i mentioned earlier is that the idea of just doing a rave or just doing something that was kind of what what a lot of people know me for mm. i felt that you know i still love that part of me but for whatever reason my mind had moved in a different it's gone down a slightly different road yeah um since stopping and to yeah i just i wasn't that keen on pushing that button again so we tried something else and i'm so glad we did it's really it's really um motivated me in a in the most positive way did you feel that the audience then um were kind of immediately connecting into the feeling that this wasn't like a, a sit down rave that this was kind of like more of a you know an electronic immersive experience yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, I think it's all been helped by, I mean, I feel very grateful for everyone who follows me. Um, I feel that I have a lot of loyal fans who have who've been with me for several years now. And, and it, one of the most pleasing things for me is that I've always been, I've never felt restricted in terms of, you know, uh, only having to make pure club music or just mm. techno it's it's a part of who i am but it's never it's never been the sole 
part of of what I do. And and I yeah, I I feel really lucky that everyone who follows me has seemed to follow me on on these different paths really. And um, so yeah, <laughs> in answer to your question, no, I um. There was no, uh, there was no difficulty there at all. Every, everything just felt right, and everyone completely responded to it. Yeah, it, it was amazing. I wish I'd been there. I, I was in Berlin. I haven't actually been back to the UK for a couple of years, which I kind of really miss now. But I'm listening to the album. One of the things that I really love about it is that it doesn't have this immediate sense of emergency that things have to really kick off with the album. It kind of the way I heard it, it sort of feels like it lets it grow around you. And I really got this kind of feeling that it's, it's an album that, you know, has grown out of the idea that you're making it for or in some relation with a space. Did it sort of make you feel kind of interested in sort of what you can go, where you can go from that in terms of music in, in spaces and, and the kind of visual elements? Yeah, absolutely. It's... Um... Thank you for saying that stuff. That that's exactly how I intended it to to work. The whole album. I mean, I've I've always been fascinated with um, music that takes its time mm. in in whatever form. I love I love drone music. I love ambient music. I love um, that world as much as I as much as I love club music. Yeah, any music that has the uh, the confidence and the poise to 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 make the listener wait i'm a big fan mm. of that i mean i i actually feel the same way even though i i talk about drone or ambient music i feel my favorite kind of techno for example does the same thing it's not about immediate gratification all the time it's not about cheap thrills it's more about going with a dj or an artist or a club and really throwing yourself into the night as a whole and f um for me my favorite djs are i would describe them all as a safe pair of hands and <laughs> you throw you throw yourself into their world and you know that it you know even if there's a bit that doesn't seem like it's doing much it's leading somewhere and every bit is crucial so i've always been interested in that idea and yeah it's definitely something i want to explore further I love the expression of uh, you know safe pair of hands and and kind of talk about uh, one of my favourite DJs that's always done that and I know one of yours Andy Weverell Andrew Weverell as well and um, there's a track on the album Fountain of Peace and to me that I don't know it just listening to it it I, it feels to me like it's got the same spirit that Andrew Weverell was not the sound but just the spirit that was doing like even back in sort of Screamadelica kind of era you know it's, yeah but like as if that's now with all of the sort of things that have happened in the world yeah. as, as as well you know I mean as you sort of mentioned before you've always kind of connected to something beyond genre or BPM or dance floor expectations um mm. how, how did that kind of start for you you know going back sort of earlier in your life how did you sort of how did you kind of find your way in with music the origins all begin with my dad mm. um my dad was and is still a huge record collector, music fanatic. Um, my mum always liked music too, so the house was never silent, and it was there was always something playing. Um, 
the first thing that I became really interested in was guitar music was it was from it was through Nirvana my dad's friend had made him a, a cassette tape of a compilation of Nirvana stuff which I would just as a about eight or nine years old just sit playing video games listening to over and over again and um the, the person who made the tape must have been a pretty uh um big like uh he was an interesting fan of nirvana because it wasn't just all the hits in retrospect now yeah. there were loads of b-sides on there and stuff which was a pretty cool education back then mm. and um and from there my dad could see that i was becoming quite obsessed with it and from there he he said oh you should really listen to this band black sabbath and played me their first album on vinyl and I, I, I still have that very copy of the record it means an awful lot to me and yeah from there guitar music and then things into um, as a teenager i loved things like deftones and smashing pumpkins mm. and, and and that world and nine inch nails and and then from there things i became i became a typical south coast indie boy and um loved my bloody valentine and joy division jesus and mary chain and, and that world became very important to me that, that um that that really solidified everything and i talk about guitar music but there's a there's a crucial moment that happened right in the middle of all of this is that when I was 11, my dad took me to my first concert, which was The Prodigy in Bournemouth. And so that was 97. So that was- Yeah, I, I remember that actually. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute actually, but yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, so they were kings of the world at that point. Mm. Um, that was uh, the Fat of the Land tour. So I didn't really connect with that being club music. Uh, at the time it was, you know, if you remember just how huge that band were and they were everywhere so it was just popular music to me but but that edge it had to it like something must have gone in pretty deep to me that the the, the power of that kick drum and the the rave influence uh, you know also at the same similar times as well I, I became interested in things like underworld or chemical brothers massive attack Porter's head there was so much incredible exciting early bjork exciting alternative electronic music again i couldn't make the connection at that point that people would listen to that music in a nightclub it just that didn't really click until a few years later but um that's where that all began it wasn't really until you mentioned weather and weather was such a i mean a huge figure in my life at, at several different points in it. and but one of the earliest one was before i discovered people like Weatherall or um, Ivan Smag or Errol Alcan, um, that that group of DJs who all seem to come at things from a, from the left field, as far as I could see. Before that, I I just presumed they didn't really like club music. The idea of clubbing just seemed kind of garish to me. I think, but when I found these characters, who I could tell that they had similar reference points to me. Um, they're kind of outsiders in some ways, you know, and um, that's what that's what got me hooked on clubbing. 
Yeah, because it's 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 because I I mean like this is the one we have that in common that you know I come from Bournemouth as well. And Do you really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think we got I won't mention them here, but we've got quite a few mutual friends from the indie clubs in in common. I had no idea. But yeah, ah. so I was you know I have very very similar experience to you at the time of of you know that that I didn't go to that prodigy gig at the Bic, mm. but. Um, I definitely, you know, I used to go to the indie club every Thursday and Saturday, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and it, to me, it felt like, you know, artists like the Prodigy and Underworld and Chemical Brothers, you know, that was my entry point into electronic music as well. Because at the time in Bournemouth, it felt like the dancing, you know, the techno in the house was for mm. people that were maybe. I made a decision, you know, I felt like an alternative kind of person, you know, and I'm yeah. not, being yeah, judge- not being judgmental about the thing here, but no. it did feel like, you know, I enjoyed the thing about being in a subculture, you know, and absolutely, yeah. And I felt in Bournemouth, the kind of house music was geared towards a very flashy credit card kind of way of being at the time in the 90s, you know, that I didn't really relate yeah. to. Yeah, agreed, agreed, yeah. Ben Sherman shirts and shiny shoes and, and, you know, door, like, um, door policies, you know, no trainers, no jeans, no trainers. That, that for me summed up Bournemouth was, you know, whereas when I, when I did discover the, the sort of underbelly, the, the, as he, as, as he did to the, the underground more alternative scene, you could walk into a, a club in your jeans and your converse and, and that was, and everyone else was this, was the same. You know, only it sounds like a small thing, and I actually believe it's probably something that's disappeared a bit. That idea of door door policy being so, I don't know, maybe it might still exist, but I feel it was such a, uh, a like a millennium turn of the millennium thing. Um, so I think it's no wonder that that we found solace elsewhere. You know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It is. It's, I sort of feel that a lot of the really DJs and producers that I really love that have kind of come up in the last decade or so um, are people that have perhaps were perhaps turned away or didn't want to go in these queues, you know, in, in mm. the nineties, like uh, you're really good friends with Tennille as well. And I, yeah. I, know, I know Tennille a little bit from, from Dalston years ago. And, right. um, and she, you know, she had like a similar sort of like stoner rock, psych rock kind of yeah. influence, didn't she for a while? That's right. Yeah. That's something that we bonded over in the beginning. Yeah. That we had that. That, yeah that exactly that psych rock background and it, it it's funny how even in your one's later years that that background and that influence can kind of still lead you to people who you know will, will be your friends you know who will it's it's really interesting what it i've got i've got no idea about the science behind it but there must be something to it yes it's a really interesting thought actually a little bit like you know, I mean, I, I definitely still bond with people and then we find out that we were both into like Siamese Dream or, you right. know, Dummy or something like that in the 90s or or, or Tricky's first album or mm-hmm. or something. But, uh, you know, but I, I wonder if it's a bit like Star Wars. You know, I'm not massively huge on Star Wars, but people do, it does kind of reappear in people's lives at different points, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It is interesting how it, 
it's always there. It, it, it buries it. It buries itself quite deep. Mm. Um, yeah, and like you say, it does. It does seem to come back out when it needs to. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Who would have thought that when you know when you were fourteen year old and the, these albums just sort of yeah. feel really immediate to you at the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and how did the um um. Uh, how did the process, what was the process like in terms of you kind of leaving a little bit of the immediateness of this, the, 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 the sort of guitar music being your full-on kind of thing? You know, you mentioned about uh, like the prodigy and stuff, but like becoming more an electronic artist. What was the sort of, you know, the, the I, I don't want to use co- conversion, but, mm. you know, what was the sort of journey, I guess? Yeah. Um so when I was so uh, when I was about 17, 16, 17, we discovered a, uh, one of these alternative as uh, um, that's not a great word, but, but that does a job but like alternative club nights called Project Mayhem, which happened every Thursday at a place called the Consortium in Bournemouth. And I, yeah, I, I loved the Consortium at the time. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a pretty special place, and. Yeah. It was run, the club night was run by a guy called Matt, who also worked in um, a record uh, music shop in town, which which we would always go into. And and Matt's, um, I mean, Matt's responsible for for a huge, for, for so much in my life, really. But I, I would be hanging out there most, most weeks and, and then, um, and I would go and ask him, you know, uh, you know, to, to if he if he, I, I'd ask him what records were, and and his philosophy was that he didn't want it to just be playing. It, it wasn't it wasn't an indie club. Mm. You know, he would always really stress that. You know, he, he, he it wasn't going to be like the Stone Roses and Oasis all night. It was he he wanted to be playing electronic stuff and Krautrock stuff and some of the electric clash stuff that was around at that time and it just felt really exciting it just felt it really felt like walking into a kind of a a different world and I would hang around there uh, (laughs) every week Um, and then it was it was one day I walked into the uh, the music shop the record shop where he worked and he had a sign up saying um, warm up DJ wanted please you know get a hand in a playlist and I just said to him how good a DJ do you have to be for your warm-up DJ and he said you don't you just need to have good taste and I've it's a strange thing that experience because I don't think I've ever felt even to this day I think it was one of the most powerful feelings I've ever felt within my body that I just I said to myself i I need this job. I need to get this kit. I need, it needs to happen. And I, I ran home and I wrote, I, I, I wrote out what I would play as a warm up, And I, I think I even went and handed it back in that same day. Yeah. And, um, and I, I got the gig and what, what's, what's incredible about that story is, well, incredible to me is that Matt, several years later, once, once my career had begun properly, he told me that he he wanted me for the job because he thought that I had good taste and he saw me coming down the 
the stairs into the record shop and and wrote that sign as he saw me coming in wow. and and it's just one of those things that I believe was completely meant to be in so many ways so uh yeah so I, I began DJing it like just for the first hour uh, every every night and you know to a very few people but the the sort of the overall feeling of being able to play to share music in that way i've always before that i always loved making my friends cassette tapes but to be able to do that that same thing on a bigger scale on a loud sound system i just became addicted to it immediately and so i was playing some electronic stuff alongside guitar stuff um and just from there i can't really tell you with much clarity uh how the the sort of change happened into more and more electronic stuff but it just it just naturally happened over the next couple of years as i was sort of um fighting you know cutting my teeth as as a as a beginner dj you know and um yeah that that's how it all started and and then if, uh, it wasn't too long until i well, i went to university and then i went immediately to london and london just really sealed the deal for me just going out big clubs uh with, with great music um dj's late nights new friends drugs everything like it all kicked in at once and by that point in my early 20s i was i was sold on the on the <laughs> experience i i was i was in um and and that and that's where that that's how that began really that's amazing and that and we're talking about like so by the time you're in london doing this we took about like what like it's like mid noughties kind of time yeah that's right i think i moved up in 2004 five or six some around that i was coming up regularly before that but i actually mm. pitched my 10 in yeah 2006 maybe yeah yeah and and like it, were, there, were there any sort of moments that sort of when you were just like starting out djing that you kind of felt that you in terms of how you dj you felt like you'd made like a bit of a quantum leap like you know sometimes it's just like mm. there's just moments where you just figure something out isn't there or yeah um, I, I can't really think. I mean, I, when I first moved to London, I was doing, I was playing, I was just happy to be playing anywhere at that point. I was just happy to be a DJ, seen as a DJ. I had no aspirations. Well, that's that's not true. I had, aspir <laughs> I had aspirations of going somewhere, but that wasn't why I was doing it. I just wanted to be doing, just wanted to be a DJ, I wanted to be in music in some way. I was working in a record shop during the day and then playing probably three or four kind of bar gigs a week. Um, but another huge turning point for me was, uh, so yeah, would have been around 2007 or eight. Um, I, I got, uh, I was involved in a night, kind of in the booking process of it, but um, I was able to play a gig at Fabric. I, mm. I, I opened up room three at Fabric again to, to no one but it was from that that seed that um i got invited back i became involved in a night called kill em all which was mm. uh, had this, exactly the same ethos as project mayhem did in in bournemouth the, the mixture of, of guitar music and electronic music and 
I became the the warm up DJ at, at Fabric for this night, and and from there became a, a resident at Fabric, and they really took a chance on me from a very young age. Um, you know, no one knew who I was, and I think those some of those early you can imagine the huge jump from just playing in bars to playing in Fabric, opening yeah, up right. at Fabric. It was. It was. It just changed everything. And yeah, some of those early fabric gigs are when I thought, I, I think, you know, maybe I have something. Maybe I do have something to offer this world. <laughs> yeah, and it, it must have been another one of these times, like again, working walking into the record shop in Bournemouth, where you kind of it's almost like you know, it, there are moments in life, aren't they, where you're in a place that you're meant to be at the right time to yeah. receive something, you know. Yeah, I fully believe it. I mean, I feel unbelievably fortunate that I I think I've had several of these things happen to me over the years. You know, uh, heroes of mine, people like Weatherall, Errol Alcan, um, Trent Reznor, I've ended up working with in some capacity over, over the years. It's just, I can't quite explain it, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I count myself as an unbelievably lucky person in so many ways but uh yeah they all felt kind of right you know when they did happen mm. that's amazing and, and like you know um and like weatherall as well i made a track for your um fabric mm. uh, compilation as well like, i mean how, how did that come about because also you 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 were picked to do the fabric um compilation like a lot earlier in your career than a lot of other people had been yeah. as well you know that must have been pretty incredible as well you know yeah that's true uh so i've been what i've been making some music in the studio next door to Weatherall's at his old bunker in a bunker studio in scrutton street in shoreditch and um and he had always poked his head around the corner a few times and been interested to be oh that sounds good and and um i had been able to start giving him um see burn, uh, burning cds for him of mm. of some of the stuff and you know just being able to hand it directly to him was a huge rush you know i was i was only in my mid-20s at this point and um still pretty green to, to everything and um and eventually yeah we you know obviously we got talking and and he became he was never a mentor in that regard like he would never tell me what to do but but there were several things I was able to ask his opinion on and to just get the nod from him was more than enough you know just an, an incredible thing and yeah Fabric asked me to do a Fabric live CD um way before anyone knew who I was it was it was before Drone Logic it was yeah before drone logic had come out and um they really really took a chance on me i mean sean roberts from fabric who who one took a chance on me to play in the club and then to to give the cd a, a, another hugely important figure in my life in in that regard and yeah they gave me the opportunity to make a cd and i knew that i wanted to have a few interesting things in there and just I don't really know where I got the balls to do this, but I just, I text Weatherall and said, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a Fabric Live CD. Weatherall was 
re- remains one of my favorite Fabric Life CDs. Mm. I think it's still amazing. And um, I said, do you, do you happen to have anything like any old offcuts, anything you're not using that maybe I could use? And he called me up immediately and said, oh, good work, dear boy. Um, I'll make you something. What BPM are you after? And and made me this track as when his Aspidel's project with, with Tim Fairplay. And yeah, just, I mean, talk about a full circle for me. It really, um, yeah, it still kind of blows my mind that that even happened, you know. It must be quite a moving, like when you say, I can sort of tell in your voice, it's quite a moving kind of experience to sort of have that, those sort of events kind of happen and, and you know, take you to, you know, sort of, uh, with these people to kind of align really mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely moving and it was also through uh, Weatherall was also the I, I made the track Drone Logic mm. with his club A Love From Outer Space at the front of my mind mm. um, and the second I finished it I gave him he was the first person to have it I handed it to him and he was playing in London that night and then he called me the following day and said, that thing you gave me last night, that was the biggest record of the whole night. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, my hands shaking, I, I called Errol immediately and said, this just happened. And Errol said, okay, I think it's time we, we made an album. And, and that's, and that's where the drone logic album came from. So yeah, uh, um, a hugely important <laughs> figure in my life. Yeah, and 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 like you sort of said, I I didn't know that you you'd kind of made it with that in mind. But um, when I've DJed it before, I think because you know I've, the first time I heard it, I have to admit, Jerome Logic, it just completely blew my mind. And then I've played it myself, and I was like, "Fuck, it's like a hundred and." 14 BPM, mm. 113, 114. Yeah. And I was like, that, that is definitely uh, Weatherall tempo. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. His, that, I love from Master Space Club that really um, psychedelic, um, again, music that takes its time. We're back to that music. Mm. You know, I, I mean, whether you, we've already mentioned it, you already mentioned it, right? Whether we're the absolute king of being a DJ who, did things on his own terms. He would always um, rock a room, but he would always be on his own terms at his own pace and the mm. most patient, the most patient of DJs. And I mean, the safest pair of hands I've, I've ever seen as a DJ. Yeah. And for such a long period of sort of like, you know, doing sets for sort of 12 hours sometimes. As yeah. Well. yeah. What's the longest amount of time that you've felt comfortable playing for? I've done 10 hours and mm. um, I, I love doing a long set. I love doing, I've done a few gigs um, mostly in London, but I've done a few around the world where I've, I've played all night from beginning from when doors open till they close and be able, able to build an atmosphere of a, of a room from the ground up like that. Is a, I love it. I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. It takes a, a lot of preparation and, if you ask me to do it tomorrow, I'm definitely not match fit to, to do, it, <laughs> yeah. do it right now after this break. Um, but yeah, it, 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 I do love doing it um, I, because what it allows, the way I see it, what it allows me to do is really um, go deep into the dustier corners of my record collection. And quite often I like playing 
uh, music with no drums or ambient music for the first hour. I've done a few in London where we've even we've set candles out and have put bean bags across the floor so that people come in. They they're literally sitting down, lying on the floor, and then those same people a few hours later are hopefully climbing the walls in a in a different way. But to be able to draw a line between all those different genres and styles, that's a real uh, privilege for me. Yeah, and and, and you, you mentioned in an interview as well that you you said like a good mix is 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 something where you can get lost in it. Um, mm. You know, and obviously, I think if you're playing for a long period of time, that does allow this kind of slow journey. But like in a two hour set, um, mm. I've spoken with a few. One of my favorite questions actually to ask people that DJ mm. is that quite often there seems to be a point in the set where things kind of just sort of go their own way, you know? Um, yeah. What, what's your kind of experience of that? What's your kind of feeling about that kind of moment? I completely agree with that idea. I don't know where it comes from, but it's a cliched saying, but that moment when the records start choosing themselves does mm. seem to ring true in some way. I be- My take on it, my belief is that um, it's quite easy to forget this in the in the we're, we're, we're in another era of the superstar DJ at the moment, but that's not really. I mean, it's not what I'm interested in, not what we're interested in. And for me, what's far more important is the idea of a club being a, a ball of energy, and every single person in that room is as important as the DJ and. The, the energy flowing between dancers back and forth between the, the DJ and the crowd, um, every member of staff, ev- um, it, it, it all culminates in something which is a, a communal experience. And um, I mean, it is again, it's kind of a real cliche thing to say, but it's, it's really not a million miles away from a, from a spiritual experience of a, of a, of some kind of church experience where everyone in the room is really difficult to describe. And it's not something that you could just recreate anywhere. When those magic moments hit though, and everything bonds together and ties together, I think that's has something to do with I can't quite articulate it because I think I can't articulate it because I don't, no one fully understands it. And it's not yeah. really in the, it's not really in the realms of, of like day-to-day language. It, it's something that everyone in the room is kind of searching for a power higher than, than themselves. And that's what's so beautiful about it. It's, um, it, it's something that just, you can't quite describe, but when you're in it, you really feel it. And and as a DJ, you really feel it. You, again, you cannot recreate it. You can't just walk into any club and it happens. But when you're in that moment, something clicks and it's, it's a really unbelievable uh, thing to happen. I mean, maybe it's it's impossible to fully dis- sort of talk about because it is the language itself, maybe. You know, that's, yeah, that's, that's what it point. is. It's, yeah. it's the thing itself, isn't it? But I, I, I absolutely fucking love those moments when I've been in rooms and, and have had those experiences. And um, I think it's also, you sort of 
briefly mentioned about the superstar DJ era as well. And, and I noticed one of the things that when I speak to DJs, particularly ones that have been around for a long time in Berlin, is they're sort of they mo they they complain about the the upfrontness of DJ booths now uh, and mm. sort of talk about back in the day that the the DJ would be just on a table or there or would be hidden and stuff like that. And do yeah. You, do you think that that's quite important to sort of, or do you feel that you know there could there can be a good position for a very visible DJ in terms of communicating with people in those moments? That's a really good question. I think I feel two ways about it on the one hand my my personal favorite way to dj is on the floor in the middle of a crowd so people surrounding me and ev and then that that's when you really feel the atmosphere of everyone's around you not everyone's looking in the same direction and you can create something quite special in my opinion in that way at the same time um, if you take, say, a festival, for example, a festival experience is entirely different to that of a club. And mm. I understand why everyone there, wh where a stage can can create a different atmosphere. And, and again, if, 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 if an artist or a DJ cares enough, then they would have put effort and time into visuals or lighting or all the rest of it. And you, you can create something different. Um, it's a much more of a, a spectacle then um you know that that's probably the the rock kid in me coming out there mm. i i, I, lo I love a, an explosive spectacle sometimes you know i think that's valid i think i think both things are completely valid i understand why you know people may say that they want the dj to be hidden or whatever i do get that but at the same time i don't i personally don't have a problem with the opposite and you know like i'm i i don't know this but i'm i may be a bit of an exception at the moment but i don't care about people having their phones out in clubs mm. uh, i i get why cl certain clubs don't want everyone on the dance floor to be taking photos or videos but i'm of the opinion that everyone in a club has worked their ass off all week to you know, at their job and quite often in a the job they may not love and and this is their escape. And and I just feel like saying to some DJs at the moment, just let people take photos, let people remember this incredible <laughs> moment. Yeah. If, if you're, you know, I, I don't want people with a phone in your face the whole time, but let people take a memento. Again, I'm probably like a, a bit of an exception at the moment to, to say that, but I don't. I I don't have a problem with it. Again, it it's always done with love. Again, you don't want someone stand standing there filming your entire set. But but if someone loves the moment they're in that much that they want to record it and and take a memory of it, then I'm fine with it. And again, that's probably the rock kid in me coming out that just wanting to, <laughs> wanting to you know to remember these huge spectacles but yeah that, that's that, that's me going <laughs> off topic there but no i love it i love it and it's also really interesting uh you know in what what you're saying there in terms of like because i remember when lockdown number one first happened and then all of the clubs started doing live streams anyway yeah and you know you've gone from like 
unless you've ever been there, not really knowing what the inside of a lot of the clubs look like, to suddenly every Friday night they just pop up on your Facebook page. Yeah. You've seen someone inside. So maybe the, a little bit of the mystique of, of keeping the world outside has, has gone now anyway. You know, maybe we should embrace a different viewpoint. Yeah, I think that's true. And also, I think, I, I think when people argue against that stuff, they're missing the point. If, if you, as, as we've already spoken about, if you get a room, it can be any size room, but if you get a room with a good sound system and a good lights and a smoke machine and a DJ who knows what they're doing and a crowd who are engaged, it doesn't matter what your fucking club really looks like or, or who's seen inside it or not. If, you're, if, if you can just make the, all of those things connect, then then it, you, you've created a magic moment and um, it, you don't always need so much mystique around it because when you're, it, the mystique happens when you're in the moment. Mm. It doesn't, it, it's not some, in my opinion, it's not something that you can automatically just manufacture outside of it. Mystique comes from that night that you heard everyone who was there, like had their life changed that night and you wish you were there that's a mystique that i'm after i don't really mind so much about anything else you know that that's that's what i'm searching for as a punter and as a dj that's an amazing way to describe it as well you know we sort of talked about this kind of thing and the photographs and 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 the spaces and where we're at now and and as we hopefully kind of carry on returning more to normal um with everything that has been shut for a while, and I'm, I don't just mean clubs here, but you know, particularly mm. with reference to um, to making albums and performing albums as a mm. producer, um, with with the, it almost feels like there's potential. I don't know whether it'll happen for there to be a little bit of a cleaning of the slate in terms of how people perceive things with with going out and see experiencing music. Is there is there anything that you feel that you know, having said what we've said before, that you feel that you would like to see done differently, you know, returning back to normal? Um, Sorry, that's a really on-the-spot kind no, of question. No, no, it's a good question. Right now, I, I think the reason I'm, I'm, having, I'm stalling and answering is because right now I'm just so ecstatic to have things returning in some form. Mm. Um, I... People talked about, yeah, there are certain things, of course, like people talked about the, the, the club scene needing some kind of reset and which of course it had a much bigger one than anyone wanted. <laughs> but, but I think my point is that I have faith in, in live music in general and in the clubbing scene in particular, that it's a, it's a living breathing creature that automatically finds a way through and automatically finds a way to reset. You can talk about EDM killing the scene. It has nothing to do with what we do. It's, you know, good luck to them all. I have no ill will towards any of that, that scene because what, what I believe I'm a part of the more underground thing, it's, it's our own thing. And new DJs come through, new crowds come through the, the younger energy always causes some kind of reset whether whether anyone likes it or not and that's just the way it is and that's what is so great about it mm. it's, it's it, it 
it will never let itself die the scene it will always find a way through and so to answer your question i don't whatever changes need to happen will happen naturally and i don't you know there are certain things we can realign on in our our scene of course a huge one huge one being the much needed injection of diversity that's beginning to happen now we're still a long way from it that that is a huge that out of everything that's something that's really needed to happen but i i i have uh a, you know again i can't say too much about it being who i am but i'm sensing that changes are starting to happen they're probably too slow but they're starting to happen um that's something that we all need to work on but in terms of the actual clubbing experience itself it will always find a way through and with things with with diversity being pushed that's only going to accelerate the change further and it's going to make everything it no one loses when it comes to that because it's only going to make the scene more exciting as it should have been for a while and yeah i yeah long story short i have faith in what we do and i believe in this scene and this community and it's, it ain't going anywhere yet. <laughs> I, I love those words. I, it's really nice to sort of uh, hear that kind of the kind of belief that, that you know this is a sort of organism in its own right. You know, it's a, mm. it's a sort of a thing. It's a thing that we all have in us. And I, I do. I, and also, my my view is with with diversity. Maybe that's all that maybe that's enough right now. You know, there's so much to do with diversity yeah. that we don't need to kind of think about anything else. Like you were saying, it's like so much will come out of that, you know, and obviously we're not it's not moving as quick as it should do or as big as it should do. But the fact that that is that all that's all that we really need to do, really, isn't it? I think. I believe so. I believe so. There's uh it's all gonna yeah, like I said, no one, everyone wins when, when, as soon as you make any anything more diverse in in all different areas, everyone wins because you're opening up your community to more to more people, new ideas, different ideas, different backgrounds. It doesn't get more, you know, in the real world, um, we've avoided politics quite well. That's fine. But, that's fine. <laughs> but, the, but but the real the the real world is has been difficult i believe for people like us because it's 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 been sort of ruled by people who want to make the world smaller who want to build walls um make countries their own nationalism has come to the front again and and what the, all we can do as a music community is just show that do you know what we don't believe in that we believe in the opposite we believe in expanding our horizons expanding our borders letting everyone in everyone having an equal voice being scared of no one because we're all the same and and learning from each other learning from different backgrounds and experiences and yeah giving everyone a platform and if we continue this way then it's only it's only going to get better and we can just show the the rest of the world just how crucial it is to for for all of us no definitely and and also it kind of just reminds me of like you know what one of my favorite periods in music history is 
say New York in the late seventies, and that mm-hmm. was a that was just this massive world of diversity, you know, down to people living in, you know, sort of people sharing spaces, you know, where they could live for that next to nothing and make art, and people from different walks of life and different orientations, and and uh, and you know, out of that, we're still living on the amount of amazing music that's come out of that. Uh, I don't know what happened in Surrey at the same time, but probably fuck all. <laughs> yeah 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 but you're right those movements that happen like they're they're famous for a reason and yeah i like like i said i have faith that what's around the corner could be pretty exciting great daniel thank you so much for chatting today my pleasure thank you so much So there you go. That is Daniel Avery talking with me, Paul Hampford, for Lost and Sound. And we had that conversation on August the 25th, just over a week ago, just actually just a week ago, actually. Um, the album Together in Static is absolutely fucking amazing. And it's out now on Fantasy Sound Records. That's Fantasy Sound Records, Errol Alkins' label. Thank you so much to John and Ellie at Fantasy Sound for helping arrange this interview. Thank you so much, Daniel, as well, for being so open, so nice and and sharing these thoughts and memories and and ideas with the show. Um, I'd like to thank ESO as well for doing, as always, the amazing music. I say as always, as if he kind of turns up every show and does the does the music live from scratch for doing the music and letting me use it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, ESO. Thank you to Kieran Yates in the UK for mastering the levels. Thank you to Bear Radio for hosting this and all Lost and Sound. And if you like to hear other English language podcasts set in Berlin go to go to bearradio.org and check it out um yes 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 if you'd like to donate the price of a coffee or something to help the production cost of the show I'm just talking really quickly now because it's absolutely started fucking it down with rain um yeah 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 you know what I'm gonna say yeah there's a there's a little kind of uh, crowdsource thing on coffee.com coffee.com forward slash lost and sound you can donate the price of a coffee all of that all of that all of that I hope you're having a really amazing time today I hope you're having a really lovely one and um I'm gonna get out of the rain i'm gonna get myself a coffee and i'll chat to you really soon take care